0: This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie has Jason Brown on the show. Jason is a husband, father, and the CEO of Called Hired Studios, the world's first Christian fan-owned movie studio. Their mission is to produce quality faith-based content that spreads the gospel of Jesus and transcends storytelling. In this episode, Deacon Charlie and Jason discuss Called Hired Studios' new movie being released in theaters September 15th, Camp Hideout. Jason describes this kid-friendly movie as Ernest Goes to Camp meets Home Alone. He shares how his work in the film industry is impacting the world. But You're right, you know, you can make movies that quote-unquote preach to the choir, or you can make great movies that appeal to everyone that don't preach the gospel, they show the gospel, I think is the right way to say it. And, And I think those are the ones that really impact people. This is Living the Call.
1: Jason Brown,
0: welcome to the show. Hey, Deacon Charlie, thanks for having me.
1: It's great to have you, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I was sharing with you a little bit in our kind of, uh, you know, pre-call leading up to this, that I've been trying to focus a little bit more on entertainment uh, conversations, because I think that, you know, our culture in many respects um, is shaped by story, is shaped by narrative. And we hear all about this kind of like, you know, controlling the narrative or changing the narrative, but that's all derivative of a story, right? And from our standpoint, we have the greatest story ever told, but we haven't always been really good at telling it. And so having people that are values and faith aligned, come on the show and talk about the importance of story and what they're doing out in the world is like really important. And that's why that's one of the reasons why I'm happy to have you on.
0: Yeah, no, and I think our values align, and we think that stories are, are the most powerful thing in the world. Um, you know, if you go back and look, Jesus taught in parables and, you know, if it was good enough for Jesus to to get the gospel across, then, you know, we, we feel like we're made in his image and that we're supposed to go do the same thing.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I also think it's important as you think about the way that story can impact the broader culture, right? So there's obviously how it can fortify and strengthen Christians in their walk in whatever way that, you know, whatever way that does, but also how it can be attractive to people who might not know. Uh, you know, you and I were riffing, I was just in Nashville where you live, and um, I went out to see this this movie Journey to Bethlehem, which for those folks who don't know it's a musical uh nativity story it's kind of like high school musical meets the Nativity story and um Adam Anders the guy who directs that movie uh was there and you know he was talking to the folks who were there and he mentioned that he actually didn't make the mil- the film for Christians he made it for people who maybe mm-hmm. who aren't Christian but this might be their first doorway in
0: yeah a- absolutely I-, I mean I think a- a- first off Adam is phenomenal uh he's so musically talented I, I think that movie is going to be amazing But you're right. You know, you can make movies that that, you know, quote, unquote, preach to the choir or you can make great movies that appeal to everyone uh, that that don't preach the gospel. They show the gospel, I think, is the right way to say it. And and I think those are the ones that really impact people. And if you go look at movies like The Blind Side, obviously not an overt Christian movie, but there's a lot of alluding to why Lou Antu and that family. Do the things that they do, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's where we kind of want to land, you know. And and our film is very, very, very similar. That the kids they don't preach the gospel to our main character; they show him just through their actions.
1: Yeah, they witness it. So let me let me give the folks some context here. So you are CEO of caller of called Hire Studios. You're also the producer of a film that comes out actually this week called Camp Hideout which um, to my mind is kind of like Home Alone meets one of the classic 80s summer camp movies or 90s summer camp movies, maybe. Is that like a fair sort of description?
0: Yeah, I I say the exact same thing. Do you really? it's It's Ernest Goes to Camp meets Home Alone.
1: Okay. Perfect. There you go. Ernest goes yeah. to camp meets home alone. Awesome. Yeah. But so that movie comes out September, September 15th, but you're also, um, again, the CEO of the studios, um, uh, uh, called higher studios, which has a really interesting model, right? You have a kind of a crowdfunded, um, model. And I want to, I want to ask you about kind of the story leading up to the foundation and creation of that studio. And then I also want to ask on the, t- on the point that you just touched on, which is sort of where in the spectrum of storytelling, you kind of think, you want to focus on and where you think the church maybe needs to focus on more explicitly. But why, why don't we talk a little bit about like the Genesis of this studio idea? Cause I actually think it's really, it's really cool. Talk about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, God's always kind of laid it on my heart. I love movies when I was a kid, um, you know, at seven, eight, nine years old, uh, I would finish my homework. I would grab a blanket and I would, I would watch movies for two or three hours. And so I always say I learned a lot of good things you know, like honor and respect from Mr. Miyagi right, yeah, in, in, in some early movies. I, I probably learned some bad stuff too. And, you know, uh, that's probably where I got some of my swear words as a kid. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that just shows the power of story and, and media because I didn't realize it, but I was consuming certain things and those things were coming inside of me and then exiting yeah. me and, and my actions and my words and, you know, my, my, my outlook, like my worldview. Um, and so fast forward, you know, on to, to college, got out of college and I started pa uh, you know, they call it a production assistant, but you know, it's really, it's the, it's a piss ant. Basically it's the, you're the low guy <laughs> on the totem pole. So you are, you know, you're there first thing, setting out chairs in the morning, you know, and you're the last guy to leave picking up trash, yeah. but you actually got to see where the sausage was made. And, you know, from there I kind of went on and, and made a couple movies, had a lot of, uh, you know, some successes and some failures, but at the same time God was always putting a tool in my tool belt. You know, I didn't really understand why. Uh got into real estate and started working for a, a land developer and and really understood track home building. Um we probably built 3 400 homes up in Fresno, California uh with this company. And I, and I, I didn't it, I didn't love it, right? It wasn't my passion, but it was something that I was doing for a paycheck. Um But I learned how to manage a project and Gantt charts and project management from that side. And I always tell people I use more today making movies that I learned from track home building than I do that I do from film school. Film school gave me the vernacular to be able to speak the language to everyone in the industry. Track home building taught me how to manufacture a product. Mm. And, you know, the combination of those things, you know, God was very kind to give me Kind of both those tools. Um, so fast forward, you know, earlier we were chatting, we had a company that did um, about 300 hours of network TV in the sports and entertainment space. And we wanted to buy a company in that space. And one of the ways that we wanted to do it was crowdfunding. This was in 2019 when crowdfunding had just began um, and, and just got signed into law. And so there's a company called Legion M that is a crowdfunded movie studio that is secular. Uh, and so I called those guys up and said, "Hey, you know, how did you do it?" And they were very kind and taught me how to do it. We ended up passing on that company, and and I, at at the time, I thought, oh, "Man, why wow, this is something I want to do?" And you know, we really wanted to do it. And then God kind of laid it on my heart that to say, "Hey, you know, do, the crowd funded movie studio is is where I want you. Right? I want you to get a bunch of Christians together, you know, make a movie, and then go scream about it." Right and you know, when looking back, you know, all those tools were kind of put in my tool belt from the year that I studied crowdfunding to, to meeting, you know, the the Legion M guys to understanding how to build movies. And then, you know, God put some some good partners in my path. You know, I have a partner named Philip Glasser, uh, who is a messianic Jew. Um, you know, so he started out in Hollywood. He has a great, great story. Mm. He actually, um, you know, was the voice of Fival. So at six years old, he got cast with Steven Spielberg, and Whoa. that was one of his first projects. And so he did that for a very long time, had a very successful television career, and then kind of got into producing. Um, you know, and he always say, you know, at eighteen years old, he woke up and there was three million dollars in his checking account, and Crazy. you know, in and in the Hollywood story of a, a young young kid who gets that much money that that went about how you expected it to go. Mm. Uh, you know, he met a little girl. From Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was a Christian, and you know, he said that changed his life forever. She introduced him to Jesus, and so now he has all of that knowledge. He's made fifty movies with stars like Robert De Niro and Uma Thurman and Ed Norton, uh, you know. And so now he's taking those talents and and trying to do more faith and family, um, which is really exciting that our, our paths crossed. And then have another partner named Ash Grayson who is. Uh, very, very good at marketing films with Ribo Media. They've done some great marketing for Jesus Revolution and God's Not sure. Dead and I can only imagine. Um and so that that's kinda how God put it all together. Uh you know, and at the end of the day our mission is just to go make movies and T V that that spread the gospel. Mm. And so, you know, that's that's kinda that's what we're excited about.
1: Yeah. And when you think about, cause that's a, that's a, a broad canvas, right? Movies that spread the gospel. Cause there's so many, so many different kinds of modalities and ways that that can happen. And then formats and genres. And is it video? Is it audio? Is it all of the above? Is it, is it, you know, long form, short form documentary feature? When you think about how you're trying to, you know, sort of filter through all of the potential that's out there for your own studio projects, right? Where do you think like the most pressing issue is or the biggest opportunity? And I'm not suggesting that these are the only ones, but you've got, you know, the sort of the shoreline of the faith, which is, hey, come on in. Water's fine. You're going to have a good time. Just learned, you know, see stories of people kind of living the faith, being witnesses in a way, even if they're not overtly. Uh, proclaiming the word or drawing you into a explicitly into a relationship with Jesus. And then you've got maybe further down the track kind of content where it's really about a story specifically about or surrounding characters involved in the faith, or maybe even explicitly faith-based content, right? So like, where do you set the the, the bias, at least at this stage in the game?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, our first movie was a, it's a kid's movie, right? It's, it's called Camp Hideout. And the reason we did that film is I, I have a deep passion for kids. Um, you know, we have, we were speaking earlier, you know, we're a foster family. We've had four foster children through our home. Um, you know, we, we have a we, we love that. Right. We I think there's a fatherless epidemic uh, and a family yeah. epidemic, you know, in, in in our world, but definitely, you know, in the United States. And so, you know, we really wanted to focus on kids because, you know, I think they're the future and they're the most vulnerable and uh, the most vulnerable and so that's that's something that that we want to really speak into the other thing is is to make movies for for dads right i I would love to go make a a great christian action movie uh you know if you could pull that off but at the end of the day you asked me earlier like my view on it i kind of look at a bookshelf right if you go to someone's house and they're very well read and you look at go to their office and you see their bookshelf you're going to see an array of different stories, right It may be some on economics, it may be some on philosophy, maybe some on, on history. I, I think if you look at telling Christian mo- Christian movies right per se, you're right. there's so many subsets and you can paint with so many different colors right a, a Kendricks Brothers movie, I think there's a great place in the market for that. You know that movie's probably going to have an altar call and, and some scripture in yeah. the dialogue. and then you look at the complete opposite spectrum. Of you know something like a a Jesus revolution or a blind side or something like that, where it's it's very underneath and I, I think I think it's appropriate to look at each story and say what what is what does this story need to be we're we're not opposed to making anything on that spectrum. It really is like what is the story calling for, and how can we do it the best mm.
1: Yeah. Jesus revolution is interesting. I had Jonathan Rumi on the show when that movie was coming out as well to talk about it, because I think the interesting thing too, about, um, these kind of stories is that there's such interesting people that have helped to shape it, especially in an American context. Right. So the story of Lonnie Frisbee is like, is like a cool story. Like, you know, to learn about how that all came about and particularly at that era, it's just good entertainment. Right. Um, I think it it was courageous or bold or whatever of them to put Jesus in the title of the film. You didn't have to have done that, right? I mean that that in a way is a strategic decision that was made at some point. But but to your point, it's not that that was. Uh, it was more of a maybe not quite a biopic, but a fictionalization, a, a, a sort of narrative about a life and a profile of a person who led a really interesting life, and and a lot of these characters are not as well known, right. Outside of, you know, very specific kind of church circles.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And the Irwin brothers that that made that film, those guys are master storytellers. So, you know, they, they did that one a a lot of justice. They, they, it was really good. And Jonathan is is an amazing actor.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, he, and it's interesting too, because I've asked him that he treats, uh, you know, playing the character of Jesus is one thing, but he treats all of his acting as opposed to like method, he doesn't think of it as a method. He thinks of it as a ministry. It's a really cool outlook too mm-hmm. to to have that. Um, in your film in Camp Hideout, you've got you know a number of notable folks in it. Uh, the great Christopher Lloyd. Speaking of eighties movies like Karate Kid, Christopher Lloyd, Doc from uh, from Back to the Future. You've got Corbin Bleu of High School Musical fame. You've got Amanda Layton from This Is Us. You got a number of folks uh, of folks in that. When you're when you're kind of casting this, I and mean, maybe people are curious, like. And you come across names like that. Um, is that because they're sort of tied into your network and you understand that they're already open, friendly to this kind of fair or, or is it, is some of these things a, kind of a happy accident Do you sort of like just, you know, net, learn about it just on the off chance?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would love to take all the credit for that, but it's that, not the way it happened. You know, as I alluded to earlier, Philip Glasser, you know, has been in Hollywood and, you know, made a lot of movies. He has a lot of relationships um, with agencies and different actors. And so it, it was really who is the best person that we can get, you know, within the constraints of, of our film and our budget. Um, we love Corbin because, you know, he came from that high school musical world, um, very family that, you know, we actually knew Corbin or Philip, Phil knew Corbin. He's just a very good, good person. Uh, and so that was, you know, uh, a relationship that we had, similar management, um, we had a phenomenal casting director, Roe Baker, has casted a lot of big movies, but, but yeah, I think it's a combination of happy accident and then also, you know, being partners or being next to people who have been had one foot in Hollywood, right? But they still have our same values, uh, just enough to be able to get access to some of these people. Yeah, and then Christopher Lloyd. I mean, he was. Doc Brown, Uncle Fester. I mean, he was so fun to be around.
1: Yeah, he's still he still got it too. He plays that sort of like uh, mischief, mischievous, mischievous kind of awkward uh, thing really well. Um, uh, and I've only seen you know the trailer for this. Obviously, the movie comes out on Friday this week, but uh, but it looks it looks really really fun. Um, I'm I'm curious too of you know th- the motivation. I know you talked about sort of the chronology leading up to um to called higher studios and kind of the steps that you took in your life and how God was equipping you kind of step by step with all these different tools in your tool belt but was there kind of like a moment of inflection for you or something that said hey our culture's in trouble we got to do something about this or was there or was it more of a gradual thing right because i think that people now uh, increasingly, I think, are looking out and seeing just a tremendous amount of division, a lot of polarization, a lot of real difficulties. Uh, you know, everybody kind of in their corner, and are and, and are really looking for you know things that can create that point of connectivity and point of of uh, of connection between folks. For you, was it this sort of lightning bolt moment? Where was like we got to do something, or is it just sort of naturally fell into place?
0: Well, wow. um, I'm trying to think if there was a, a real watershed moment. Yeah, I, I think it was more gradual. Um, you know, I think becoming a father. You really start looking and paying attention to what is trying to influence your children. And I think, you know, yeah. I, I watched them watch Home Alone and, you know, I quit watching the movie and I just watched watched them watch the movie, watch Home Alone. And I saw them literally belly laugh, roll off the couch. This was three or four years ago. And I quickly realized that movie, that piece of content has my children. They, could, say, they could, say, it could sell them anything. Not only did they watch it that night, they probably watched it five or 10 more times over the next two weeks. And so, you know, I quickly realized between that and YouTube and, you know, the social media apps, it was vying for their attention so much. And it's very, very good at getting it. And so I think that was kind of a watershed moment for me to realize that I can either talk about it right? we can either complain about it or we can actually go and try to make something. Right. And we can try to, you know, fight it. You know, we can get in the fight. So I think that's probably uh, at least one of the moments, you know, my partner always says that it, I'd like to take credit for it, but I'll, I'll give Ash the credit on this one. I think we went through as a society, a wave where people started realizing, Hey, Whatever I'm putting in my body, Mm -hmm. right, affects me. And so you started to see gluten free and organic, right? And it was a big craze, at least in the food industry. He believes, and I think I agree with him, that the next wave is going to be people are going to realize what I put in my mind. You know, that's what comes out of me, and I, I think people will begin to make better choices, or at least I hope they make better choices on you know what they're feeding themselves from a media standpoint, because we're getting so, so much stimulus from every direction. Um, and so we want to be there to, to put out some good content and, and hopefully be in that, be on that side of it too.
1: This particular movie, Camp Hideout, what would you say are some of the, I guess, specific virtues or values or thematics that you think the film advances in, in that regard?
0: Uh, from a biblical perspective, um, I, I think unconditional love, Right, uh, our, our lead character Noah is from the group foster care system, and he's had a bad, you know, bad run, bad family, uh, no parents. He gets hooked up with some bad guys that are very similar to Marvin, Harry, and Home Alone. He steals something from them, and they they start chasing him, and so he runs and he hides at a church camp. He thinks it's <laughs> the lamest thing in the world. He has nothing, you know, to do, yeah. nothing in common with these kids, and so he he lies to them, and he he does some certain things, but these kids. They love him anyway, right? They they want to step up and, and help protect him and eventually they do when the bad guys find out, you know, where he is, these kids come to his aid with the counselor's help and you know, they, they have some, some fun beating up on these guys. But in that you're gonna see elements of unconditional love, uh, forgiveness, you're gonna see elements of friendship and belonging, definitely family. Um, you know, there's father figures that step in there for Noah, for, for Noah not to have a father. The characters that Corbin and Christopher Lloyd play, they really, you know, they really step into that father role. And so, you know, I think that was, you know, uh, definitely a reflection of of some faith elements.
1: Mm. I think that's really important, too, precisely because of the kind of fatherlessness epidemic that we have, that we have to show examples of how other men can step into that breach. Right. And and kind of fill that gap because the reality of it is you have sort of two ways of looking at it, right? You could look at, across the board and for those who don't know, like in, I only know this in kind of segments, but like in the black community in the U S about 70% fatherlessness right now in the Latino community, it's just under 50% and it's dramatically increased. And in the sort of general population, I forget the exact stat, but I know that it's about 19 million kids right now uh, that are growing up without a dad in the house of any kind, not even, you know, adoptive or foster or whatever. And so one thing you could say is, well, that's terrible and kind of bemoan it and, you know, it's awful. And we really wish it wasn't that way. The other part of that I think is, well, what can we do the men who are here to help, you know, those, those moms and those kids. And that part is one that, you know, works really well by example, by having, you know, visualizing somebody else doing what that actually looks like, being a father, entering into a fatherly role, and then, you know, having that as a reference, right, to look at. And and that's where I think those kind of stories are really cool because it shows that relationship and how that gap can be filled.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would agree with you a, a thousand percent, you know, and it, and it doesn't have to be adopting a kid. It doesn't have to be You know, becoming a foster family. You know, I I had some great coaches in my life that I that I would say are were father figures. And what it was is they were attentive, right? They were present with me. They had my best interest at heart. They tried to correct me when I when I would do wrong, and they would try to pour into me. And I think you know most men out there have a lot to give, right? If they really look in the mirror from their experience and their knowledge, you know, they have a lot to give, and sometimes it just takes a little effort to go out and, and find a young man to mentor. Um, you know, if you look at the disciples, I mean, that's what they did with Jesus, right? Jesus said, come walk with me, you know, live with me, be around me so that you can become like me. And I think, you know, if we, I think we have enough Christian men in the U S that if we would go out and find one, you know, to mentor and, and be around, I think it can make a big difference. Absolutely. Why'd you become a foster dad? Oh, wow. Uh, my wife made me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, I, I I came from a broken home. Um, you know, my father was military. He was uh, the average store duty in Vietnam is seven months. I believe he was there for five years. Wow. And he was in, you know, he was on a team that was very close quarters and, you know, did a lot of things in that war. And so when he came home. Yeah, that was that was a very tough war, right? Because you, you come home and you know, half the country spits on you and, you know, it's, he had a lot of demons to deal with. And so, you know, they, my parents, you know, ended up getting divorced very early and, you know, my father had a lot of stuff to work out. So coming from that world, you know, statistically I was supposed to be, you know, on drugs or in jail or divorced. Right. so I, I feel very fortunate that God was kind enough to put people in my life to influence me, you know, and in in this movie, it happens at a at a camp, right? I was saved at a at a summer camp when I was twelve, mm. and I credit, you know, that counselor that stood on that stage with cerebral palsy and, and telling me his testimony mm. as as one of the turning points in my life, right? When I got up and, and gave my 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 life to Christ, and so, you know, uh, I, I think it comes out of gratefulness. I'm I'm so grateful because I knew what my life that I want to go do that for for someone else and you know we prayed about it for a very very long time and you know we ended up uh becoming a foster parent with an organization called Jonas Journey that works with the Tennessee Women's Prison and so they look for mothers that are either incarcerated or going into prison who are pregnant and they look for Christian homes for for those babies to go into and that's what we kind of got called into doing but you know we, I think it was I've been loved and I've been, I've been so blessed Right. And you can't, you can't help, but be grateful and, and want to give that back, I guess is the best way I could say it.
1: Absolutely. And you can only give what you first received. Right. Um, I know, you know, my, my wife and I are foster parents too. Well, we're, um, foster parents, but you kind of always are, we still keep in touch with our foster kids. Um, and I remember like the, the most common comment that I would hear when I would say to people, you know, I've, we've got foster kids. We had a, we had a brother and sister with us. They were 10 and 11 years old at the time. The The most common thing that we would always hear is like something along the lines of, oh, that's so nice. It's so amazing. Good for you. I wish I could do that or, or things along those lines. Right. And, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. And it's like, you, you know, one side of you is going like, it doesn't seem all that special because it seems like something you could do, you know, and you don't want to say it exactly like that. But I think part of it is this notion that these things are so foreign. They're so crazy. It's reserved only for a few people and it keeps, it keeps everybody else sort of, you know, outside of it. But the reality is of, I'm not saying everybody's called to be a foster parent, but it's not like, you know, being going off into space or something or, you know, being some specialized mathematician. These are very these are things that require some vulnerability and some openness and you have to be able to risk things for the better the betterment of somebody else. But it's not like this deeply specialized skill. And yet it's so easy for people in general to just go, Oh, that must be for something somebody else, not for me. Do you ever get that?
0: Uh, we get it all the time. We we say the exact same thing. The number one comment we get that we always hear is wow, you're such good people. I could never do that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know why people say that, but that is, you know, that's what they do. And again, we don't, I mean, obviously we're not special. You know, we, we took a, for instance, you know, our first foster, we took a baby home from the hospital at five, five days old, you know, and you're taking care of a baby, right? You're giving him a warm place and, you know, and waking up in the middle of the night and changing diapers and, you know, all the things. Uh, But, you know, it's, it's, it takes a little bit to, to get out of your comfort zone, but you're right. It's it's not you know, it's not a rocket ship. You're not trying to go to space. It's it's really just loving on people. Um, you know, and I, I would say this, we're we're the same way. You know, I always say God took our foster baby away because the mother got out of prison and, you know, we turned the baby back over, which was a very, very hard day. Um, but I say God took a foster baby away from us and gave us a foster daughter and a grandbaby because she ended up Living near us in a halfway home, and now we've come alongside her. She goes to church with us. You know, we're actually throwing, uh, you know, her little boy a, a two-year birthday party this Saturday, and so we've become mentors to her. My awesome. wife, you know, since her Bible, you know, they, they talk about the Bible, and so it, it's it's fun to to see that and, and know that you know you're not changing a kid's life, you could potentially be changing an entire generation.
1: Of course. And you're giving God a chance to work with all that connectivity and that network effect. And, you know, you look back on something five years later and go like, oh, this is what you were doing. It wasn't the initial thing. It was this other thing. Right. So it's kind of one of those things you can only comes into full picture in the rearview mirror. You know, I I think the interesting thing about just like you said, loving on somebody is love is one of those is the only thing in the universe that increases as you give it out. Right. The more you spend of it, the more you get to give. And, and it's, it's sort of like a misunderstanding of that because I think people, when they think about fostering in particular, think of that moment when you have to give the kid back, right? Like, I don't know if I can go through that pain to go through that separation. And it's this sort of all or nothing calculus, but they're not thinking about, you know, the, the moments where you're loving, receiving love, the after effect, what impact that can have more broadly. And the fact that, you know, if somebody's in need at that moment, the, the the right thing to do, whether you're Christian or not, is to sort of help them, right, in whatever way, whatever that means. It's like we start getting into this sort of future planning thing, and that keeps people from taking that initial step when the opportunity is right in front of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I have to ask. I know it's your show, but I want to ask, what do you, you know? How how long have you been fostering, and have you, what have you learned out of it? What, are you, are, what do you think God has taught you from it? You
1: you can ask as many questions as you want. I love it. Um, yeah. So we we fostered for all told, I think it was just shy of two years. Brother and sister, eleven and twelve years old. I mean, I think some of what I've shared just even now is some of the things that 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 I learned. Is you know this idea of the investment of love. And the investment of caring and passing on the things I learned from my own father, hopefully just the good stuff that I learned from my dad and from my mom, are things that can take root in the heart of somebody else that they can go and spread out in the rest of the world. Obviously, the faith experience of my household, because if you're living in my house, you're gonna get some Jesus. That's just the reality of it. Okay. <clears> and if it's not for me, it's gonna be for my wife. Um, so so all of that is, you know, w- w- is a is a huge part of the 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 benefit obviously and then so many things that i wouldn't ha- have experienced were it not for this brother sister right some of the things that my other kids didn't experience that they needed like uh, like the the girl my foster daughter had a kind of a learning disability i don't know if it was dyslexia we never got to the end of it but she had a lot of problems like studying and doing work like simple elementary school work. So we had to spend a lot of time with her, but in doing that and kind of being forced to come up with the ways to educate that were different from the ways we'd brought up our kids, like that just makes me better. You know what I mean? That kind of, that's like a gift to me. So, so there was just so many things and I thought, well, if they weren't here, I wouldn't have that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have that. So it adds to your bandwidth. It adds to your wisdom. It adds to your relatability to other people. I mean, there's just so many different benefits, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, we did it for, you know, just shy of two years and, uh, I'm also an adoptive dad and I've got sponsor kids, you know, I got biological kids, I got step kids. I got like all the facets of fatherhood. God's been good to me in that regard.
0: I like it. Stepping, stepping in the gap.
1: That's it. Trying to, you know, we got certainly got a lot of demand for it. So why not? Um, Hey Jason, f- so for folks to like, uh, obviously we want them to go see the movie. Movie comes out on Friday, September 15th. Where can they see it?
0: So it's going to be in uh, probably a thousand screens across the nation. Cool. Uh, they can go check it out on camphideoutmovie.com uh, to go find Showtime. But yeah, it should be in, you know, theaters in most major markets. And, you know, it starts on Friday. We're hoping it has a long run. Uh, you know, probably be in theaters at least two or three weeks. And depending on how it does, it could be longer.
1: Where's, where's it going after for streaming and stuff like that? Do you know yet?
0: I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's going to end up on Hulu. Uh, obviously it'll be for sale and you you should be able to rent it or buy it through most of the, the different platforms. But I think eventually it'll end up on Hulu.
1: Very cool. And then what about folks who might want to learn more about uh, called hire and how they can perhaps get involved to own a piece of these movies in the
0: future? Yeah, actually they can go to called com uh or just Google called hire studios and it should pop up and you know, they, they should be able to, to, to learn all about us. Uh, I think, you know, like I said earlier, we're owned probably by, Right now we have an offering open that closes on Friday. When this offering closes, I think we'll be close to 7,500 7, investors that, that own our company all across the world, most in the U.S. But, you know, we have some international and it's people, everyday people, right, who invest $100 or $500 or $5,000 and, you know, all came together to go and make something. So
1: Yeah, that's huge. That's I, I, lo- I love the model and I think it's very... That whole democratization of all these business models is really cool, and um, definitely would encourage uh, this audience to go check that out if you want to to actually help make what is ultimately a very you know these are complex productions they take a lot of time you got to source scripts you got to develop them you got to attach talent and showrunners and do all that good stuff and it takes a minute to do and most of us won't have an opportunity to, to directly be involved in the production of of you know film. Projects, especially ones that are good for the kingdom. So, if you want to do that, you can definitely go check out Called Hire uh, Studios. Jason, anytime you're in LA, my friend, love to continue the conversation. I know I got to cut you loose because you got to go pick up kids. Yeah, but uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, you spent a few minutes with me.
0: No, I enjoy it. We try to get to Los Angeles. We always have meetings there. But you know, going back to what you just said, if if, you, if they go see the movie, they're probably going to see three or four investors uh, in the movie. So we actually had. Some investors come on set and there are extras in the movie and, you know, in oh, different cool. scenes. And, you know, it was cool to get, it was cool to talk to them. Right. And and literally it started from a place where they probably saw a Facebook ad, clicked on it, put in a hundred dollars. And then fast forward two years down the road, you know, they're in in makeup and wardrobe and going out on the movie set, which was pretty cool. but. Yeah, it's exciting to get to do some stuff like that and to watch our investors kind of light up when that happens. But yeah, if we make it out to Los Angeles, I'm sure we do. We'd love to love to break bread.
1: Awesome. Well, then I take it back. If you uh, if you become an investor, you actually might be involved in a physical production. There you go. That's good. That's good. All right, Jason. Well, listen, uh, my prayers for you and your company, your film for a big open on uh, Friday, September 15th. And for you to have, uh, you know, for the prosperity of all of your work and, and, and all of this uh, this great content creation, for the good of the kingdom, you can count on my prayers. A real privilege to meet you. Thank you for coming on the show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Deacon Charlie, thank you for doing this show and for having us on and everything that you do. And thanks to your listeners for taking the time to listen and, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully they got something out of it and we can all all go glorify God together. Amen. If
1: you're listening to our voices, that means it's time to subscribe to this show. Share this episode. Maybe somebody who has an interest in uh, in entertainment or maybe a family who's looking for just, you know, the kind of fare that they can feel good about watching with their family and uh, help this, you know, show this particular episode and what Jason is doing with this studio and this film be a moment of inspiration for them. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call.